You know, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. But it's not because of what we've done, it's what, what Jesus has done, amen? And we see in 1 Thessalonians, it tells us that we are a threefold being. We are a spirit, um, we possess a soul, and our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. We have a physical body. And uh, when we're born again, it's our, it's our spirit man that is born again. And so our righteousness, righteousness abides in our spirit. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And because it's the spirit man, it isn't determined by our actions, by our feelings, by any of those things. It's, it's totally and completely because of what Jesus has done for us. And so oftentimes we talk ourselves out of our righteousness. We convince ourselves that we are not, not the righteousness of God in Christ because of actions, because of thoughts, because of things that occur in our life. And so we, we basically, we talk ourselves out of it. You know, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's been cast down, and so he's here uh, to bring accusation against you and I. God isn't the accuser. The enemy is the accuser, and the reason that he wants to bring accusation into our life, he wants to steal from us any confidence that we might have that we've been victorious through Christ Jesus. And so what the accusation is trying to do is to convince us that God can't use us, that we're just a bunch of losers, that we're never gonna amount to anything, that God can't use us, and, and the proof of that is our behavior. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 12, too, that we have to we have to renew our mind. We have to change our thinking, the way we think about things. And let me tell you, the number one thing that we have to change our thinking about is ourselves and about our relationship with God because if the enemy can convince us that we don't have a relationship with him, that we are never gonna to amount to anything and we buy that lie, he's got us right where he wants us to be. Oh, we'll, we'll still go to heaven. But you know what? We're not going to accomplish what we're, so, we're supposed to accomplish here on the earth because, you know, after all, how can I share with anybody? Look at my life. I'm such a mess. Why would anybody listen to anything that I have to say? Well, it's not about the mess in your life. It's about what Jesus has done in your life. And the thing about it is, is the more that we begin to believe that, and the more we begin to talk about that, the more that we begin to move in that direction, the more evident that it's gonna be in our life. It's not gonna be just a bunch of words that come out of our mouth. It's gonna be what we actually believe. And so our, our, our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and, and the Word of God, you wanna get control over your emotions? It's the Word of God that'll do it. Listen, I'm kind of an emotional individual. I know it's hard for most of you to believe, but you know, but, it, but if, I don't, if I don't keep my eyes fixed on the Lord, my emotions get totally out of hand. He's what brings stability to it. You know, our physical bodies, your body, the, the day after you got born again, your body wanted to do what your body had always done. And the sad thing is after 20 years, for some of us, 40 years, our body still wants to do what pleases it, what satisfies it. The way that we override that is through the Word of God. 
as we change our thinking, as we begin to dwell upon the Word of God, our thinking begins to change. And as our thinking changes, our body has to fall in line. And it's going to follow suit. I mean, if willpower would do it, we would have never needed Jesus. You know what our, 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 our desires of our flesh prove? We need Jesus. And the only way that we find that victory is through him. In James, I'm sure Hank just about went nuts when he saw my list of scriptures today. Well, we got a lot of scriptures. I don't know whether we'll get up through them all or not. But you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm more convinced than I've ever been that the only thing that'll bring freedom and wholeness into our lives is the Word of God. I was up at the prison last Monday night up at Rockwell and really a good number of guys that are showing up now. And we, we had just a really good service and it's, you know, and just, just for your information, you know, it, uh, it really helps with preaching when people respond. <clears throat> the worst thing is when they fall asleep, but you know, blank stares are almost as bad. But, uh, but, but responses really help out in the preaching. And so I had one guy in the back row and you, you could, I talked to him afterwards and you could tell that he had grown up in a, in a Pentecostal environment and I'd ask him about his grandma and his mom and yeah, sure enough, you know, they, they were. And, and he was sitting back there and as I was preaching along, you know, I kept getting the, you know, and, you know, so if you like something, just, 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 just give me the finger. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, or, or, or take out your hanky if it's clean and just give me a wave. One, there we go. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, but, but, but the thing about it was we, we were talking afterwards and, and he said uh, he had been in a, another service earlier in the week and, and uh, he said, you know, the, 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 they're preaching the word. But he said, I, I had to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom and I'm, I'm coming back. Some of you can identify with that. And I was coming back and, uh, and uh, he said, it rose up within me, dry bones. And he said, you know, it was the word, but it was, they needed some life breathed into them. And, and he, he gave me a compliment. He says, you breathed some life into it tonight. And, and, I, and I quoted from something that, I believe, I believe it was Brother Hagen that said this. He said, it talks, the Bible talks about spirit and truth. And he said, all if, you, if all you have is truth, you dry up. But all if, you, if all you have is the spirit, you blow up. And so it requires the spirit and truth. And so I'm believing in the name of Jesus that we're going to receive spirit and truth this morning. And so you can take this word of God, which is truth. And under the inspiration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be applied in your life. And so you don't blow up, you just, you just have an impact upon this world that we live in. But in James, the second chapter in the 26th verse, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. And so what he's telling us here is the life that we have, the life that we experience in this life, it's in the spirit. We have the life of God in our spirit. You know, oftentimes we're looking out here for something that's going to produce or satisfy life. But where we find it is in our spirit because that's where the true life abides. You know, in Genesis, the second chapter, seventh verse, it talks about 
how God spoke to Adam and, or he created Adam. And it says that he, he breathed into him and he, he, he breathed the breath of life. And if you study, study that word breath out there, it's, it's the same word that we use for spirit. And so God breathed his, not just simply his breath, he breathed his spirit into man. And so when you were born again, there was spirit life that was breathed into you so that you might live the victorious life that's been made available to us through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, and you made, <clears throat> and he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that's talking about us. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Because of Adam's sin, man died. But you know the interesting thing about that is, is you can look that up in Genesis, and you'll find that God said to Adam, he said, you know, of all the trees of the garden, of all the fruit in the garden, you can eat of it. But of the one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, of that tree you shall not eat. For the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And of course, the interesting thing about it is, is he ate of the tree. But you know, physically, he, he lived for hundreds of years after he ate of the tree. But there was something that took place. Spiritually, we say he died. Spiritually, what occurred is he was separated from God. Do you know what death is? Death doesn't mean that one ceases to exist. Brother Hagin, once again, always said, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And what he's saying is, we will live forever. We will live, the you, the real you, will live for eternity. Your spirit man will live forever. What salvation determines is where are we gonna spend all of eternity? Will we spend it with God? Or will we spend it in a place we don't wanna talk about? but we're gonna live forever. But what takes place in death? There is, a, there is a separation that took place. When Adam sinned, there was a separation between he and God. And man had encounters with God periodically, but man never had the relationship with God that God had always intended when he created him. Until, about say until. Until the death burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the new birth was made available to you and I. And we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we're no longer separated from God. And that's why we no longer have to depend upon our intellect. We, never, we no longer have to depend upon our feelings because we've got something so far, far greater than that. We've got a living spirit that's in unity and in harmony with God. If we will learn to listen to our spirit man, our spirit will guide us into life. It'll guide us into wholeness. It'll guide us to victory in every area of our life. In Galatians, the fourth chapter and the sixth verse, It says, and because you are sons. And so this is, this is written to all of us. And you say, well, you know, it's just referring to sons. Well, you know, in the Greek, uh, many times when the word son is being used, it's, it has no gender. And so what it's saying is that God has male and female sons. And so this is written to each and every one of us. And it says, and because you are sons of God, because you are sons of God. In other words, for this to apply, this applies to you. But for you to understand that this applies to you, you've got to have the realization, the understanding that you're a son of God. You have to believe, I'm a son of God. 
And so it says, because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. You know what, the religious folk of the day, they wanted to crucify him for that statement. Because under the Jewish law, you couldn't, you couldn't go call God Abba. That implies intimate relationship. And the significance of it saying, because we are sons of God, we can, we can cry out Abba Father. What that means is we now have intimate relationship, intimate fellowship with God. It's not like it used to be where we, 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 we try to uh, find a place with God. We have a place with God. He loves us. He cares for us. But you know what? We've got to be able to see it for ourselves. In Ephesians, the first chapter, the 13th verse, it says, in him, you also trusted. In him, capital H. So it's talking about Jesus. In him. I know you've heard me say this probably 555 times. But you're going to hear it 556 times. You need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. The number one hindrance that keeps us from, from walking the victorious life that's been made available to us through Jesus Christ is not recognizing what Jesus has truly done for us. And throughout the epistles, it talks about in him, in whom. It gives us an understanding, a realization of who we are in Christ Jesus. And we've got a bunch of little books. They're in him, written by Brother Hagin, this little blue book. And in that little blue book, there's 133 different passages that are represented that tell you who you are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, if you're struggling in your identity as to who you are in Christ Jesus, there's only one way to solve it. Praying about it won't solve it. Oh, Pastor Dave. No, praying about it won't solve it. But I'll tell you what will. When you get a hold of those 133 scripture passages, that, that, that you begin to realize who I am in Christ Jesus, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All of a sudden, you turn from being defeated to being victorious because of the revelation that you have of what Jesus has done for you. But let me tell you something. Revelation doesn't just fall out of the sky someplace. We have this idea, well, you know, when God gives me a revelation, I want to encourage you to go after it. Go after it. Find out what Christ has done for you. Find out what he's made available to you and begin to walk in it. So, in Ephesians, the first chapter, the 13th verse, it says, in him you also trusted. Get this next part after you heard the word of truth. Where are you going to find out who you are, the victory that's yours? After you've heard the word of truth. Because you know what the truth will do? You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But let me tell you something. Only the truth that you know will set you free. We're free. We're totally free. Well then, Pastor, why are there so many Christians walking in defeat? Because they don't realize it. They don't recognize what Jesus has truly done for them. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise sealed it in your heart. You know, I remember those early days of my Christian walk with God. You know, it was, you know, one day you're saved, one day you're not saved. Good friend of mine, 
who's in the ministry today, he talked about how every Sunday night he got born again again. Because he thought the moment that he messed up, the moment he sinned, he lost his salvation. And so by late Monday morning, he was already lost for the week. And then he'd go back and he'd hear the gospel of truth. And he believed it. He believed it. He desired to serve God. But he was trying to do it in his own strength. And if we don't know what Jesus has accomplished for us, our only alternative then is to try to do it in our own strength and our own ability. And the only thing that that proves is we can't do it. We have to trust him. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, salvation, sozo, the gospel of, of yes, we go to heaven, but the gospel of salvation is so much more than that. It applies to our life in the here and now. Thank God for eternal life. Thank God when we cross over to the other side, it's a good place. Thank God. But we're not to wait till then. We're to experience it right here and right now. And we come to that realization as we begin to see what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. In Romans, the eighth chapter. The eighth chapter and the eleventh verse. It says, but if the spirit of him, see it's, it's conditional. You know, there, there, there's people that'll, that'll say, well, you know, it's God's will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, so everybody's going to be saved. Eventually, everybody's going to be saved. But this scripture passage says that there's a condition. If, therefore, you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And so how do we do it? We do it by the Spirit. What does that mean to put to death the deeds of the flesh? That means we separate ourselves from it. Remember what I said earlier. Death doesn't mean cease to exist. Death always means separation. When Adam sinned, he died spiritually. He was separated. When physically we die, we don't cease to exist. Our soul and our spirit are separated from our physical body, but we don't cease to exist. We live on and eventually, after rapture, rapture we'll be reunited with our flesh. Why, I can't quite figure that out, but uh, we will be. You know, we experience all sorts of death. Remember years back, there was an individual. He had heard about the situation with Jim Baker and Jimmy Schwaggart with their, you know, sexual exploits and so forth. And this individual was talking to a, a, another brother and he says, you know, my relationship with my wife is so secure that that would never happen to me. Nothing could ever separate us. And as a result of that, because he was doing it in his own strength. Let me tell you something. Don't ever get so cocky 
in your spiritual walk that you think that you're not susceptible to the attack of the enemy. Because when you reach that point, what happens is you let your guard down because you think, I'm invincible. Nothing can conquer me. Well, within a year's time, that individual had an affair with his secretary. He lost his wife. He lost his profession. He lost his family. <laughs> he lost his business. He lost everything. You know what that is? That's death. Because there's a separation that takes place. How do we put to death the deeds of the flesh? Let me tell you something. That stuff does not cease to exist. It's still around us. But what we do is we make the determination, I separate myself from it. Brother Cole always put it this way. He says, those things in your flesh that are dominating, trying to take control of your life, you've got to lop it off. There's no just kind of backing off. You've got to lop it off. You've got to put it to death. In other words, you have to separate yourself from it. Did I read Romans 12, 8, 11? I think I did, but I'm going to read it again. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead. Notice it's not you doing it. It's the spirit that abides within you. If him, or excuse me, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. He does it. And we wonder, how is that going to happen? Well, it happens as we begin to cooperate with him. You know, God wants to work in our life. He wants to operate in our life. He wants to move in our life in a supernatural way. Our, our natural life we ought to live in a supernatural way because of the God that lives on the inside of us. But you know, for that to happen, we've got to begin to acknowledge, we have to recognize that he's there. And the thing about it is, is he wants to operate in that way in many times what we would consider to be the small things. Where we, we, we simply stop Having this attitude, I can do it myself. We come to the place where we trust him. We allow him to move in our lives. And our first thought is not always the natural way of handling things. Our first thought is how does God want to handle this? How does God want to do uh, this deal in my life? Let's turn back to Matthew. Jesus walked in the natural, but he operated in the supernatural. And we say, well, that, that was Jesus. But you know what? He says that we're to follow his example. We're to operate in the same way that he did. Notice in Matthew 14, 14, and it says, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. He was moved with compassion. I think oftentimes we're moved with sympathy. Empathy. We feel sorry for that individual. But Jesus was moved with compassion and what compassion, compassion always motivates you to do something. You know, there's the organization called Compassion. And you know, I, I, I believe they, they chose that name um, for a purpose. They didn't call it sympathy. They didn't call it feeling sorry for. They called it Compassion. Because if you have compassion, you're moved to do something. 
You know, we can be moved in our emotions and just sit there and tear up and cry and feel sorry. But if we're moved with compassion, it causes us to want to do something about it. You know, on their part, they're trying to move us to take out our credit card and call that number on the screen. Why? So that they can minister to the needs that are out there. But we ought to be a people of compassion. When we, when we see something, when we, when we see somebody that's lost, we shouldn't just feel sorry for them. We ought to be moved with compassion that causes us to desire to do something about it. Maybe with words, but it may be with just doing something for them to demonstrate the love of God. But our lives ought to be moved in that regard, Jesus was. And so it says that Jesus um, was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, at his, at, <clears throat> this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy some, uh, themselves food. And he said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And of course, they did what we would do. They naturally, immediately looked at things in the natural and said, <laughs> you know, we don't have enough money. And even if we did have the money, where would we buy it? And Jesus, because he is moved with compassion, and because he is listening to the Spirit, he had the answer. Have them sit down in groups of 50s and 100s. Took the bread, blessed it, said give it to them, and they never ran out. In fact, they ended up with leftovers. When we're doing it in our own strength, we have enough for our four and no more. But when we're doing it in God's ability, when we're doing it under the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're able to meet the need of the masses. We have leftovers. But see, because we're so dependent upon self rather than dependent upon Jesus, we look at ourselves and all we see is our inability. We see our lack. But when we begin to look to Jesus, we see surplus. We begin to see more than enough. We see a God that wants to supply every one of our needs. And, and you can look that up in, 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 in the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, and again in Luke, the ninth chapter. We see Jesus supernaturally meeting the needs of others. And he has moved to do it because of the compassion that he felt for those individuals. You know, one of the things that the gospel does gets the focus off of you. Because we are so hung up on ourselves. <laughs> Don't look at me at that tone of voice. You know I'm right. We're, we're, we're so caught up about ourselves. And we wonder, why, why is the world going to hell in a handbasket? Why don't people care? Because we're so caught up in ourselves, we're so concerned about ourselves, we can't get beyond our own needs. Am I gonna have enough for next week? You know, when you're my age, am I gonna have enough to retire? Why does it really matter? I thought he said he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Well, I don't feel very equipped. I don't feel very capable. I thought it was through he, through him, that we could do all things. I thought it wasn't through our own strength and our own abilities. Jesus is the sanctifier He's the equipper. 
He's the all in all that empowers us through the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is that needs to be done. We don't have to focus so much on the hindrances and the lack. We need to focus upon him. You know, in 1 Corinthians, first chapter, 30th verse. It says, but of him, but of, but of him, Jesus, you are. But of him, you are. Did you catch that? But of him, you are. Not because of you, you are. Because of him, you are. In Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Or it could read like this. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God righteousness from God, sanctification from God, redemption from God. We are those things because of Christ in us, who became all of those things for us, so that we might walk in them. He wants to take us the Bible says from glory to glory, to glory to glory. He wants our lives to be elevated. He wants your life tomorrow to be so far greater, better than your life today. He wants to take you from one level of glory to the next level of glory. But instead, oftentimes what we do is we, we look at the circumstances around us and we allow them to dictate to us what we're going to experience in life. 2 Corinthians 10, 17, it says, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What does that mean? <clears throat> we're a glorious people. Amen. That, that's, not, that's not prideful to say that. We're just simply agreeing with him. And so we're to, we're to see ourselves as being a glorious people. But it isn't because of my glory. It's because of his glory. It's because of what he has done, what he has accomplished in and through my life. In Romans, the sixth chapter, the first and the second verse, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? You know, people are nuts. People think some of the most foolish things, but you know, they think that way because they're thinking like the world. There's, there's people that think that for by grace I've been saved through faith, not of, not of myself, it's a gift of God. Therefore, because I'm under, under grace, I can do anything. There's people that think that way. But you know why they think that way? Because they don't know the word of God. They heard something preached one time, they take it out of context, they, they, they twist it to say whatever they want to, it to say so that it'll satisfy their flesh. Well, what about sin? Well, it's not my favorite subject. 
But let me tell you about sin. You're dead to it. You're separated from it. It has no power in your life. The only power it has in our lives is the power that we relinquish to it. Listen to this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we? Everybody say, how shall I? I think that's right. It wouldn't be me, right? It'd be I. How shall I, who is dead to sin, live any, more long, any longer in it? You don't sin because you can't. You don't sin because you're dead to it. Well, pastor, it keeps resurrecting. Well, keep crucifying it. Keep denying it. Starve it to death. Don't give it any strength. But you know what? It begins with me. It begins with me saying, it's okay, it's not so bad. At least I'm not as bad as some people. You know how some people are. You know, I'm not that bad. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you, you really are. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. But we have something they don't have. We know we're dead to it. And we don't give it life any longer because it doesn't have any life. This is something, we, we, we still struggle with it. Why do we still struggle with this? We still, we still see ourselves as poor, miserable sinners after we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been resurrected through new, to newness of life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. We are redeemed from those things that wish to bring death and destruction into our life. That's what Jesus has done for us. But still, we will so easily and so quickly gravitate back to the mindset that I'm nothing but a poor, miserable sinner. And somebody says, you're a saint of God, we'll, we'll put up an argument. But let the argument be the word of God. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. You know who he's writing to? He's writing to the church in Philippi. He's writing to all the believers in Philippi. Paul. Everybody say Paul. Paul. We're talking about Paul here. We're not talking about some modern day preacher. We're talking about the apostle Paul, the man that wrote two thirds of the epistles of the New Testament. Paul says to the church in Philippi, to the saints. I'm up here this morning preaching to you and I could address you as the saints of Abundant Life Ministries in Jefferson, Iowa. In fact, I think I will. To the saints of Abundant Life Ministries in Jefferson, Iowa, grace to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. You got it, mama. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. You know what? Let, let, let me tell you something. That, that does something to you. I know a lot of people think that our prisons are just simply a pushover. It's a holiday. Let me tell you something. It's a, 
It's a miserable place where somebody is telling you 24 hours a day when you're gonna eat, when you're gonna sleep, when you're gonna get up, when you're gonna go to bed, what you're gonna do when you're gonna do it. Negativity beyond imagination. It's oppressive. And I'll come into that room and I'll, I'll begin to minister to these, these men. I'll begin to give the word of God to them. And you, you, can, you can see the oppression on their faces. And you begin to speak. You know, you preach for a while, but at a certain point you realize this isn't what they need. They need to know who they are in Christ Jesus. And, and I begin to just speak over them. I begin to declare over them. I begin to inform them that they are the righteousness of God in Christ. Greater is he that is in them. That they're brand new creations in Christ Jesus. They can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. You know, and I, and I just begin to build them up that way. And you see a change in the atmosphere because of the word of God. For me to stand here and say, you're just a bunch of miserable sinners and if you don't change your ways, you're gonna go to hell. Well, let me tell you something. The sinner knows that. They know where they're headed. They're hopeless. But let me tell you what Jesus wants to do. He wants to bring hope into their lives. And let me tell you what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to bring hope into your life. He wants you to have the revelation, the realization that you are a saint of God. No longer allow anybody to confess over you that you're some kind of a miserable sinner. You're not miserable. You're a saint of God. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. They're included. But all the saints. Philippians 4.22 All the saints greet you. See, he's bringing back a response. All the saints greet you but especially those in, of Caesar's household. And so Paul comes in and he says, all the saints, where I came from, all the saints greet you. Gonna have a fun couple of weeks here because, you know, our missionaries from Overseas are going to be home. Um, Sarah and Edward come in on Tuesday, Monday, and uh, Sarah and Mark will come home on Friday. And so we're going to have them. We're going to have them all in the house. And you know, <clears throat> they'll bring you greetings, and they'll say, you know, from the church in. In, in Italy or the church in Honduras, we bring you greetings. But you know what they're really saying? They're saying, from all the saints, from all the saints, we bring you greetings. And so they're bringing greetings from the saints to the saints, not the ain'ts. So how do we see ourselves? We so say, well, Pastor, I think you, you, you've hammered that home enough. No, I haven't. It'll never be enough until we come to the realization of what Jesus has truly done in us. And that Jesus, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, lives in us. And that what he asks us to do, we can do. And that we realize that it's truly the greater one it won't be enough. In fact, I'm convinced we haven't talked about these things enough. 
Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse. By that which we have sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Drop it down to the 14th verse. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sacrificed. One offering, sufficient, forever. First John, little John. First John 1, 7. But if I walk in the light, you know when, when you, every time you buy the lie, you're walking in darkness. Every time. But John says, but if I walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You know how to walk in victory? Walk in the light. Don't allow darkness to reign and rule in your life any longer. But do you know what one of the key ingredients to this is? It's this thing. This thing right here, our tongue. The words that come out of our mouth. If we don't control the words that come out of our mouth, we'll never control our behavior. That's where it all begins. Listen to this in James, the third chapter. In the second verse it says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In other words, if we can control our tongue, we can control our actions. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a little rudder, whereby the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. See how great a forest is, is, is lit a fire See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire in hell. Our tongue, what we say, it's a starting point. And so, I believe it begins by what we say about ourselves, what God says about us. And what we're actually doing is we're putting our place or we're getting in a place where we agree with him rather than the things of the world. Because you know what? If somebody says something negative about you, you hook up with it just like that. And you know what it is? It's a lie. It's right from the pit of hell. It's to bring death and destruction into your life. But you know what? We can do it. We can do the same thing with the Word of God. When we see something in the Word, when we hear something in the Word, we ought not to remain neutral. We ought to respond. When you hear, by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. Yes, praise the Lord, I agree with that. I hook up with that. That belongs to me. When you hear that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, yes, amen. I agree with that. Thank you, Father, that I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I agree with that in Jesus' name. We need to be active in our Christian life. But oftentimes what we do is we're, we're, just, we're just neutral. 
And so it doesn't have the impact in our life that it ought to have. Let me close with this scripture. Scripture? Scripture? Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have all, all, always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his pleasure. God works in you both to will and do his good pleasure. You know what that does? That takes the work out of it. That means I rely upon him. I trust in him. I respond to him. There's an area in my life that isn't as it ought to be. As I meditate and think upon his word, he gives me the will to change. But not only does he give me the will to change, he works in me his good pleasure. Or we could say the ability to change. Hallelujah. I just love the Word of God. I love what it produces in our life when we give it an opportunity to do so. John 14, 16, it says, Jesus said, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper. Another helper. Somebody just like me. That's the Holy Ghost. And it says that he's going to be there forever. That he'll never forsake us. You know what? You can try to walk away from God if you want, but he'll never walk away from you. You know, there's only one thing. There's only one thing that'll separate you from God. That's not trust in Him. Why were we born again? Because we put our trust in Jesus and we stopped trusting in ourselves. What'll keep us from walking in the fullness of what He's made available to us? Not trusting Him. Trust in our own abilities. Let's trust Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all of our strength. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you today for your word and we thank you who we are, for who we are in Christ Jesus, that it's not based upon and determined by our abilities, but it's all about what Jesus has done for us. Father, help us get our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes on Jesus. Help us to allow your Holy Spirit to live big within us. That that compassion that Jesus demonstrated on the earth would rise up within us. That we might be a true blessing to those around us. Father, we want your will to be done and not our will. And so we submit ourselves unto you. And so, Father, as your children, blessed with the privilege of calling you Abba Father, we thank you that we have this confidence that you'll never leave us or forsake us and that Whatever we encounter in life, you're there to take us through. And so, Father, I ask your blessing upon this congregation. 
I pray, Father, that you will bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that we might walk in the fullness of what you've made available to us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. And you are the righteousness of God in Christ.